This is Keith Dent, host of the Black Men Speak podcast. It's not often when you get the opportunity to witness greatness. Well, today I'm getting the opportunity interviewing Davion Tatum. He was the first African-American male valedictorian ever in his high school at Westfield High School in Spring, Texas, with a graduating class of over 600 students. When it was time to apply to college, he only applied to 12 highly selective schools, and he got accepted to 11 of 12 of those schools, with seven of them being Ivy League schools. He eventually chose Harvard University. Today, we will talk about his book, Thriving in Your Own Lane, and some of the thoughts he has when he chose academics over sports. Uh, I, I used to love sports. I played basketball, football, and baseball. I did it all, you know? Oh, okay. And, um, but I remember when I no longer wanted to play sports, I was met with some, like, you know, little contempt. I was met with some, you know, confusion. Like, oh, why don't you want to play sports? Like, you have to. Something you. Why more people of color aren't applying to top flight colleges? public school systems and in school systems that are primarily what people of color right. so you have these you have these counselors and these people and i don't think you know i'm, I'm optimistic so i i try to think that people don't do things with malicious intent that's what i try to think um so i don't feel like people say like oh you need to apply to a safety school because you're not going to get into these schools um even though that's what they they may think i try to believe that they're really just worried and concerned and even a winner like davion has his challenges today is the 19th on yep. the 17th i lost an election so we did our undergraduate council election i ran to be part of the undergraduate council as a freshman oh. and i lost and i'm not used to that wow okay <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know how to handle that you know i'm not used to losing plus we will just talk about how he's doing in his first year at harvard university on that note let's start the show davion uh, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. How are you? Good. You know, Harvard's a long way from Houston, so <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to talk to you and um, hear about your your journey and the, your first, I guess, month and a half, probably almost two months now. And so, but before we get to that, I want to just talk about um, first. I want to talk about your book, uh, Thriving in uh, My Own Lane. And so it was kind of uh, written to kind of break, you know, some of those societal norms. And so uh, what you saw, but I wanted to, before we get into, you know, the book itself, was there a specific instance that led you to kind of think about even writing the book? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say there was a specific instance, but I feel like it was a culmination of a lot of things that I saw around me. Uh, so at the time, I'd been playing sports for so long. Okay. There was a point in my life where I was like, oh, I don't feel like playing sports anymore. I want to go and do something else. I wanted to be in the band program. I wanted to start, you know, focusing more on my academics. I was transitioning into high school, which was, you know, that that pivotal moment. You know, high school, everything you do in high school then helped transition to college. And I knew I wanted to go to college. So I knew, like, I needed to start focusing on a couple things that really not only piqued my interest, but really piqued my passion. Um, and at that time, sports just wasn't that thing anymore. Mm. And I remember what I was met with when I wanted to no longer play sports. 
Uh, I, I used to love sports. I played basketball, football, and baseball. I did it all, you know. Oh, okay. And, um, but I remember when I no longer wanted to play sports, I was met with some like, you know, a little contempt. I was met with some, you know, confusion. Like, oh, why don't want to play sports? Like, you have to. It's something you have to do as a young black man. You should play sports. Wow. That's what I'm saying. I didn't. I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, that's just not. It's not my passion. Not what I'm passionate about. And I told myself going forward, I would do things that I'm passionate about and things that would help other people. Um, so all of that combined, I then started to see like, well, why is it that people see me and they immediately assume that I should play football or they see my height and say, oh, you need to play basketball. Or I just started to ask these questions. Um, and initially the name of my book was, what do you see? That was my initial, uh, mm. title because I wanted to know what do you see when you see me, do you see a football player? Or do you see the next, you know, physician or astronaut or lawyer? Um, and that was in my book, but as I kind of started writing it and things started to, you know, transpire in my life, I shifted from what do you see to what I started to see and how I wanted to start thriving in my own lane. So it kind of was a, it encompassed all of that, you know, and it encompassed, you know, the black experience, being a young black male and just seeing these things and they even take it a step further. Um, if something as simple as me no longer wanting to play sports cause an issue, you know, or like made people see me in a different light or the stereotype behind being a mm. black man having to play sports. Uh, if that stereotype alone caused that much trouble, then imagine in the world, the stereotypes and the stigmas that could lead to even worse occurrences, you know, and I even reference, you know, how cops and police officers, they automatically stereotype a black man when they see one. It's like, oh, all right. He's either a thug or delinquent or a criminal, you know, and mm. automatically assume this, this narrative about us based on what they see. So I kind of wrote the book, not only to address my own personal experiences with social stigma and racial stereotype, but to also address other ones as well. The more, the more detrimental ones, if you know what I mean. So right. I also um, wrote it as a, an encouragement. When I first wrote it, I was a little like, you know, I was writing from a place of like confusion, like why okay. this, you know? But after a while, I said, you know, I should start to encourage other people like beyond social stigma, beyond stereotypes. You should thrive in your own lane. You know, you should accept your brilliance and your uniqueness as uniqueness, you know, and not be um, discouraged by what other people think you should be doing, or what they think your limit to your success should be. Right. So to encourage people and also shed light on and address some of the issues that I saw. Right. That's awesome. Because you mentioned height. So how, how tall are you, by the way? Um, six, two. Six, two. OK. So, yeah. So definitely where people could see you playing basketball. Yeah. So uh, that leads to my next question. So was the did people question why you didn't play athletics from the from the all the community or was it just the black communities? Because at times we can be our own limiting beliefs. So I'd love to hear, you know, where you got, you know, the questions from. That that is a really good question. Um, and that is true. Sometimes we can, you know, be our own, you know, enemies sometimes without even knowing it. I honestly I would say that majority of the people that would ask me would be uh black people, but I don't think that's necessarily true because I was just asked by a lot of people, you know, family members, uh mm. random people. I was in I was coming down the elevator at the dentist one time and some guy saw me and was like, Oh, so what position do you play? I was like, huh? <laughs> he was like, what position do you play in football? I'm just like, oh, I don't play football anymore. And his follow-up question was, well, what do you do then? And I'm like, mm. 
you know, like what? And he was a white man, you know, he was a white guy. So, you know, I don't know if it was a racial thing or more of just like a social thing, a social ideology almost. Right. People just assume that. I kind of, and I, in my book, I also mentioned examples of like, why is it that we have these stigmas that even, I, and I, I talked about even not as a black male, but as just a person in general, um, we just automatically assume that, oh, Hispanics play soccer or Asians are good at math. You know what I mean? Like right. these certain stereotypes, these generalizations, these stigmas that we just assume and we accept, you know, we widely accept them. Why is that? So I think it, I think it's very important to know that I don't think it's a racial issue as much as it is more of like a social and stereotypical issue regarding what we see, whether that be race, gender, or whatever, you know? Right. And that's one of the main reasons why I created uh, this show because I wanted to really highlight uh, extraordinary men, you know, like yourself, that didn't have to do with either entertainment or sports, uh, yeah. because that's where we, for the most part, see our, our, our men. And then, it, you know, of course, it just trickles down into yeah. the fact that, oh, when young people say, you see, well, I I'll automatically have to be an athlete because, you know, those are the individuals that get notoriety or they get, you know, a sense of pride by doing right. something. So, I mean, I applaud, you know, that you, one, you came to that decision early on in your life and you didn't have to, when your, you know, sports career ended, you had to try to really find yourself. So I think that's, that's fantastic. That leads to your end of your high school year, you are selected or you, I'm sure you by virtue of grades, you were the first black male valedictorian at Westfield High School. So kind of to give a context of the scope of that accomplishment, uh, how many students were in your graduating class? And, you know, how did it feel to kind of represent the school in that way as being the valedictorian? Yeah, uh, my school's graduating class of 2021 had exactly 644 students in it. Um, so we had a pretty fairly large That's class. A lot of competition. Um, and when I went into high school, I didn't go in with the intent of being valedictorian. I kind of went in just doing what I've been doing, which was giving my all. I knew it would be nice to be valedictorian. You know, that, that would be good. But I didn't go in like I have to be valedictorian. That wasn't my intentions uh, at the beginning. <laughs> do, do but, some students actually go in? as the, Yes, as a as lot. Of, you'd be surprised. A lot of kids go in like to high school already like I got to be top of my class top rank this 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 and they'll do certain things to solidify their ranking so I know um the little fun fact I was the only one in the top 10 students that did not take courses over the summer I didn't take any courses over the summer oh wow and but you had kids who did and not to like you know throw them on the bus or anything but they took them uh some of them took these courses and they took a lot of courses over the summer to kind of boost their GPA. They're called, it's called playing the GPA game. So you'll take a lot oh, okay. of courses over the summer at a local college. It'll get you some GPA points. You'll boost your GPA and you can rise and rank that way. Because um, they're, they're considered easier over the summer? Yeah. They're <laughs> okay. <considered easier>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, and you know, I, I just didn't do that. I, I like in-person stuff. I struggled a lot virtually. Um, my grades didn't, didn't falter, but me as a person, you know, I like to learn in person. I like to be there, okay. interact with my teacher, interact with my peers. Right. So um, that was difficult for me. But you have kids who do, they prefer to do online things, you know, and they just did the stuff online. They just enjoyed it that way. Um, but yeah, I was the only one in the top 10 that didn't do that. 
And I think that speaks more to like my staying true to myself, like my own personal lane that I was thriving in because I said, no, I know what works for me and I know what I enjoy. And I just kept saying, I'm going to give my all in the classes that I'm taking here on campus. I don't need to go on and play the GPA game because I know what I'm doing here is correct. Uh, And then when I found out, because it was funny how I found out. So my my class, they said, was the most competitive class they'd seen. Like my counselor just said, oh, y'all are different. Y'all are built different. Um, But our ninth grade year, we would like we flooded like the end of our ninth grade year. We flooded the counselor's office uh, asking for our transcripts. Ninth graders. And that's not normal. You know, like that doesn't happen. No, that's not normal. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember when I found out they gave to me the lady, she looked at it. She was like, what you need your transcript for? She said, you're not a senior. You're not a junior. What do you do you need it for? I said, I'm just curious. Well, I'm just curious. And she looked at it and she was like, hmm, uh-huh. And she gave it to me. She said, keep that spot. Don't let nobody take that spot. And she said, if you maintain that spot for the next four years or the next, you know, um, you may be our school's first black male valedictorian. Wow. And I was okay. like, well, oh, actually, no. She said I may be the school's first black valedictorian. This is before Joy um, was the first black uh, female in 2019. Okay. First black lady in 2019. Uh, so that was before Joy had became that. She said I may be the first black valedictorian. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And um, I was just, you know, I just took it. And I was like, okay, that, that's kind of cool. I didn't think much of it, but I just knew I was going to keep doing what I was doing. I was going to keep pushing and trying. And lo and behold, here comes 2021, and I'm announced as valedictorian, and I'm announced as the first black male valedictorian of my high school. So it's pretty cool. That's fantastic. <laughs> Congratulations. So so then we get to your end of your senior year, and I guess maintaining the grades, and then you also had to apply to school. Yeah. And so you applied to, and I think you got accepted to 11, but did you? how many did you actually apply? How many schools did you actually apply to? 12. The only wow. the only school I did not get accepted to was MIT. MIT did not accept me. Oh, MIT. Okay, so eleven out of the twelve you applied to, you got accepted, and then seven uh, seven of those were Ivy League schools. Yes, which is fantastic. And so, what made you? Uh, so you ended up choosing Harvard University. And so, what made you just choose Harvard? Because I'm sure. Um, as we discussed earlier during the pandemic, you couldn't actually tour any of those schools. So yeah. I'd be, I'd love to hear, you know, what actually factored into that decision. So um, I didn't share this with my, uh, with my mom or anything at the time, but Harvard had always been Harvard and Stanford were always like my top two choices, but I didn't share with anybody. I usually tell my mom everything. I didn't even tell her okay, uh, because I was nervous that I wouldn't get in, you know, the acceptance rates of those schools are so low and like right. thing, you know, uh, the odds are just usually stacked against us. So I just didn't think like, oh, I put all my hope in it. Why tell people about it if it's not going to happen? Okay. Uh, but I remember when I was applying, I told myself I was only going to apply to schools that really I, I wanted to go to. I was given a lot of a lot of grief for not applying to safety schools. So even in some of the programs that I'm in, even some mm. of my, some of my counselors and whatnot, uh, gave me a lot of grief for not applying to any safety schools. Like all the schools I applied to had less than a 10% acceptance rate, all of them. And it wasn't because like I was just trying to be cocky or anything. It was just because I wanted, I only applied to schools that I knew I would attend if I got accepted. Okay. But like each one of those schools as an individual school, like when people kept saying, oh, make your list, like list them and rank them. And I was like, no, 
like I'm applying to each one of these schools as an individual school because if I only got accepted to this one, I would be okay with going to that school. You see what I'm saying? Right. So that's that's how I chose. That's how I made my list. And uh, on that list just happened to be seven Ivy League schools and as well as like Stanford and UCLA and these other schools. And I applied there not thinking I was going to get in. Then getting into all of them except MIT was really I was really shocked. I was like, whoa, like what? But it also made the decision that much more difficult because I was kind of hoping that either Harvard or Stanford accepted me. But the fact that both <laughs> accepted me. Wow. Right. Made okay. it. I had to tell I had to say no to one of them, you know, which was not easy. Like telling Stanford, no, like that broke my heart. So oh, wow. okay. I had to make a decision. And the way I made my decision was that all of these schools are incredible. You know, they're all great. Yeah. Okay. But I said, where can I go that will kind of feed into my passion and what I want to do and will put me in the position to help the most people? And I remember thinking about that. And that's Harvard kind of appealed to me more because Harvard is a liberal arts college and Harvard College, the undergraduate college, is a liberal arts college. And liberal arts kind of means that you have some curricular freedom to explore okay. like other aspects of your interests and your academic right. interests and whatnot. So I remember, and you know, Stanford, I think the liberal arts also don't quote me on that, but I do remember looking and they said that um, it's more practical application. So especially for engineering students, it's more like practical application engineering, whereas Harvard does more of like a, a uh, interdisciplinary, more rounded application. Well rounded, right. Okay. So, and I, that factored into my decision as well. What also factored in was just thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't, I, I still am not actually set on what I want to do with my life and with my career and going forward people have told me i'd be a great lawyer <laughs> i also enjoy stem i've always liked science and i've always liked you know math so i just kind of like intersecting those two things kind of is where i see myself going maybe the intersection of medicine and law possibly or the intersection of like uh engineering and public policy or you know different intersections between different disciplines i feel i see myself going into as a career but that kind of helped me to choose Harvard in a way because Harvard pushes for that. You know, they push for you to explore, they go explore your humanities interests, go explore your scientific interests, go mm. explore them, you know? So yeah. Harvard kind of push, pushes for exactly what I want to do. So um, that's kind of how I chose, um, how I made my decision. It was funny because everybody was like, oh, you just chose Harvard because it's Harvard. And I'm like, no, I really chose <laughs> of what it gives and what it right. offers. You know, and I'm like, that's why it's hard. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what right, yeah. makes that's it right, hard yes. is because of what they offer and what they allow. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm just, you know, still adjusting. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. Excited. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. So people were annoyed that you didn't choose a safety school. So do you think that kind of factors in to the societal, like cultural part of the fact that what, like, what are you thinking? You, do you really think you're going to get into the, all these 11 top flight schools? You better choose yeah. a safety school. Otherwise, you're not going. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that it that is a, a issue within itself in our society. You know, it is especially in our school system and our education system. Right. And it's like primarily in public school systems and in school systems that are primarily what people of color. Right. So. You have these you have these counselors and these people. And I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. So I, I try to think that people don't do things with malicious intent. That's what I try to think. Um, so I don't feel like people say like, oh, 
you need to apply to a safety school because you're not going to get into these schools. Even though that's what they, they may think, I try to believe that they're really just worried and concerned. But that goes into our mindset, you know, right. the fact that you even doubt or the fact that you think like, oh, you you do know those schools have low acceptance rates, right? You do know mm. those schools are such and such. You do know only this many people, this, this, this. And it's like, it's disheartening because you're, and it only happens within our communities, you know, like within the schools, within our communities. And that's why you have a low, not even acceptance rate, but a low application rate mm. with people of color. You know, um, one of my essays that I wrote for, I think Caltech actually talked about, they said, how would you diversify our campus? And, you know, most people would say, I go there as a black male, I do this and I do that. But I said, no, I want to take it a step back. Like, I want to get more people of color to even apply, you know, to even think about applying there. Because when you come from like certain environments, even myself, I applied to all these schools, but in the back of my mind, I still had that saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to get in. I may not get in or this, 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 because of what people around me might've told me, you know? Right. And just imagine if I was that student, I had friends who literally would say, Davion, we're not you. We, we, we can't do that. I'm mm. like, just apply. They refuse to even apply because of what they had been told, because of what people said, because of how what they thought it was. And I just, you know, stepped on the leap of faith and just said, no, I'm going to apply anyway. You know, I'm going right. to take my own advice that I wrote in that book in eighth grade, and yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it anyway, despite what people say. And it paid off. And if there's one thing I would give any advice, you know, it just be to apply, do it, put forth your best foot, you know, put forth your best effort. And it's like, I think that that within itself is an issue we need to address. And I, I like to go back to the school, my school. My school is mainly, it's predominantly Hispanic and black, you know, and being the first black male valedictorian, although that was an accomplishment, I could put it on my application. I felt great about it. You know, like it was good. It's also speaking to the school and it's also speaking to the environment because we are at a school that's mainly black and mainly Hispanic. So why have we not had a black male before me or a black young lady before uh, joy in 2019. You know what I mean? Mm, so it's like, right. why have we not had that when we have a school that is predominantly people of color? So I think it kind of all, it's all connected, you know, and how mindset, mindsets shape reality. Right. And because you have, I, even my own counselor, my counselors loved me. Everybody loved me there. But even they would say, I think you're doing too much with the classes you're taking, or I think you're doing, mm. you're stressing yourself out doing this. And I don't think they did it maliciously, but that's really what they were taught. That's what we've been trained right. to think. You know, we've did been you ever did you ever say you were stressed? Oh, I, I was stressed, but I didn't express it like, you know, oh, I'm stressed. I need help. I mean, if you're taking four AP classes, you're going to be stressed. Even right. even the best of us are going to be stressed. You know, okay. I, here at Harvard, we're all con considered the cream of the crop and we're all, you know, stressed out. But it's a good stress because you're learning even that, you know. I feel like it's the way we've, we've been trained. You know, we've been trained to think a certain way. In my book, I call it psychosocial indoctrination. We've been thought, we've been taught to think a certain way. And it's like you have this, this division, you know, amongst things. And it's like this cycle that's going to continue because you have people who are in places of power, who are teaching other people of color, who say, oh, you may not be able to do this, or you may want to try and go somewhere else or apply to a safety school because this is too difficult, this is this and this. Then you have those kids who don't apply to any schools. Then they they get into or they go somewhere or don't want to go to college because of what people might have told them about college or 
then you have that cycle that's continuing because then what are they going to tell their kids? You know, so it's like right. you have this cycle that just keeps going. And I just I really want to I hope to one day break this cycle. Uh, I feel like I've been able to break it a little bit with my own actions. But even being the first black male valedictorian, I was fun. But I want to make sure I'm not the last at Westfield. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And before we get to Harvard, because I do want to ask this question then. Because, so from just your black male peers at high school, what was their, you know, what kind of, I guess, response did you get from them? Because, you know, you're basically a unicorn. So for the lack <laughs> of better word, you were the first black male valedictorian. So with that comes certain choices that you had to make hanging out or yeah. things like that had to be, had to get put on the back burner because right. I'm sure that once you knew that you had to make sure you maintain that as well. Um, Funny enough, I actually was able to, if you ask my mom, she, she'd say I didn't have a balance. Uh, <laughs> okay. I actually feel like I was able to maintain a certain balance between my academics and my, my fun. So to the extent of where I was, I was known enough and I was respected enough that people understood, like, if I can't go to this party or if I can't do this, or if I can't right. go out there, you know, they understood. It's like, oh yeah, that's Davion. He got a he he doing something. And um, some of them would call me like Mr. President or whatever. Like, oh yeah, Mr. President got to do some some some, you know. And you know, I had to kind of understand that being in these AP classes, the people that I was constantly around shifted. You see what I'm saying? So like the right. people I was around in middle school, being in these AP classes, I was no longer around those people. Um, mm. But I still kept in contact with them. But I just wasn't as close to them as I used to be. Right. Because you, the majority of AP courses were taken by Asians and the few white people we had in my school. So I had to, you know, find that balance. And I often, often struggled with it, though, because I'm like, oh, dang, I don't want to lose any friends, but I also don't want to lose what I'm trying to do. You know, or right. Right. Absolutely. But I do feel like for the most part, it was positive. Uh, it's because I kind of I was like that cool nerd, I guess. I was I was still involved and I was yeah, still yeah. there and I didn't just like I didn't shoot I didn't shoot I didn't say like oh this is this and that's it like I was still there and I was able to find that balance and I, I kept telling my mom I said I feel like I was able to live in both worlds um just by being myself right and I feel like that's a key component I think sometimes people feel like you have to choose like oh I gotta be if I'm hanging with my my friends I gotta be like this if I'm hanging with these people in this smart class or whatever, I got to be like this. But I was always the same all the time, you know. So people just respected me from both sides of the of the fence. Um, when it came to like, oh, hanging out and having fun, or getting my work done, being a studio student or whatever. And so people were very excited for me, very proud of me. When I got like my little local fame, they were like, everybody was so excited and everybody was so proud. So I do feel it's mostly positive, but I, I definitely could see the parts where I would feel like I needed to choose and I had to remind myself like no you don't have to choose you're good you know like you're okay just keep driving your own lane so so we're at Harvard uh it's been about a month and a half so how's it been so far it's been pretty good um I'm still I'm still adjusting I was I don't know who I was talking to I said I feel like we're gonna be adjusting for the next four years <laughs> but I'm still adjusting I think that you kind of I came here with the idea that like people would be really cutthroat or like you're around a bunch of super smart kids and it's just going to be a bunch of buttholes, you know, <laughs> like they're going to be yeah. mean. And and surprisingly and thankfully, I've actually met some very, very incredible and nice people. Um, you still do have those people who, you know, 
cutthroat and they and I I told my mom, I said, I think I'd be forgetting that like Harvard is like the realm of like all the gov majors and like the pol politicians. So you have people here playing like political games sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, like real politics, but it's fun and it, it, it's interesting to see like different perspectives. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is Harvard's most diverse class. I know it's Harvard's largest class, but I think it's also Harvard's most diverse oh, class. Okay, wow. So to see like um I have a friend who's from Albania. And to see, like, I have another, I met someone else from New Zealand uh, and someone else from uh, uh, Paris. And just to see their perspectives and they all come here and we have these shared interests and shared perspectives. And we have these, these like, urges to fight against inequality. And we all have these same, you know, innate feelings like, oh, we have to do this. We have to do that. Like, we have to fix these issues within our system. We have to fix this. Like, to see that, I mean, you have people from all across the world who have come here and we all share like that same passion uh, to help others. Like for the most part, we all share that same passion to help others. And that's why people came here. Uh, it's just, it's really a blessing. It really is. You know, right. it's really, it's really incredible. Um, classes. I have a, I have a lot of work all the time, but <laughs> it's, yeah. it's okay because I'm learning. And I, I particularly like this one class. It's called who lives, who dies, who cares. It's reimagining global health. So it takes oh, wow. okay. it takes a biosocial lens. So biosocial meaning to contribute to a lot of the disparities that we see within global health and within healthcare in general. And it discusses how like, oh, people think that uh, people think certain things are certain stereotypes about a certain group of people based on like, oh, they're more prone to get sick or they're more prone to this or to that because of their way of living. But mm -hmm. if you really think about it and take a step back, it's like, no they're more prone to it because of what has been done to them throughout the course of history or what has happened to them or how they've been systematically disadvantaged and disenfranchised for so long that now they are reaping the, the, the issues of what other people have done to them. So we have to fix that, you know, and um, just looking at things through a different lens and just seeing things like, and as someone who wants to go into medicine, just seeing these things, like how we can rectify racial disparity, how we can fix you know, inequalities within our healthcare system and just seeing where they stemmed from and how we can stop them, you know? And yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. I really enjoy it. I'm enjoying it so far. Great, great. Well, I know, I'm not sure if your mom is listening, so or watching, <laughs> but you know, we don't want to make her nervous, but what has been, what would you say has been your biggest struggle so far? And then what's been your biggest surprise about uh, college? Hmm. Struggle. Let me see. I guess well, I guess a struggle for me would be the fact that um, it's going to sound so arrogant when I say it, but I'm not trying to be arrogant. Um, I'm not used to losing. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm, not used to, like, I'm not used to not like excelling or like not being the best or like that guy. Mm, OK, uh, so to come here, I actually let you in on something. What's today? Today is the 19th. On yep. the 17th, I lost an election. So we did our undergraduate council election. I ran to be part of the undergraduate council as a freshman, oh. and I lost. And I'm not used to that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know how to handle that. You know, I'm not used to losing. Or I applied to uh, one of these programs, and they said, "Oh, um, we enjoyed your application, but uh, would you like to apply to be on the wait list?" I'm like, I got to apply to be on the wait list. <laughs> like, mm. What, you know? So I guess that would be like both a surprise and something that just I'm not used to or um, 
but it's 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 beautiful because it's a humbling experience you know and it's you come here and you're around other people who have done just as much if not more than you have done and to learn from other people and to see other people excelling you can, you can do one of two things it can deter you or it can encourage you okay and right now i feel like i'm being encouraged and i'm being you know uplifted because i'm surrounded by people who i feel i can learn from you know um instead how of many, all, how many votes did you lose by I actually don't know. I don't think I lost by many. It's no way I lost. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's like two or three votes. That's it. That's max. But um, it's just it's beautiful to see like myself be humbled and myself to to learn and grow from others. You know, usually people will be looking up to me like, oh yeah, Davion. Well, what do you think about this? Or how do you do this? Or like looking up to me for the answers. Um, and to be here, and I mean that still happens on occasion, but for the most part it's like a collaborate a collaboration you know we're all looking to each other because we all expect respect each other as being you know brilliant in their own way like we all made it here so obviously all of us have something to offer something to bring forth to the table and something to add um so i think it's just i think that's both beautiful and surprising for me i was also very surprised at how political these people are uh, <laughs> okay they um during the election i mean things got heated you know like people right. Uh, we doing joint campaigns. We over here doing this. We doing that. I mean, playing a political game like to to get in. So it was just that was really interesting to see. Also, um, yeah, the East Coast is competitive. Like, it, I mean, yeah. what like yeah. competitive? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, play around. They don't, <laughs> don't play like, around. No. What's happening? So I think that was interesting. But I also, um, I also believe in like you know shifting, uh, shifting away from that too. You know, I was telling somebody. I said. Um, where we ran, they run the UC like politics is ran, you know, political games and, you know, political agendas. And I was like, well, we need to shift from that. You know, we need to start going in and like really saying, like, okay, we're going to vote for people who really want to make a difference and want to make change and want to bring about something positive versus just the person who played the best game, you know. And I had people who agreed with me. So I feel like we may be shifting that in that direction. Um, but it was definitely a surprise to see how competitive it was and how like people, although like they're smart and they're collaborative, they also have that side to where it'd be like, no, nah, I gotta, you know, I gotta go in and get mine. So, right, right. you know, so I know your mom and your sister, whatever was a big, you know, inspiration for your success. So, you know, how, how did they really actually help you with this transition period? Um, oh, in like transitioning to college, yeah. actually, they were here, they stayed here for a very long time. Oh, they did, uh, okay, yes. And they had a hotel and they stayed here and they helped me move in and made sure I was set up nice, they made sure everything was good. They didn't leave me. Um, and they were like, I, I had to tell them to leave. Like, oh, wow, okay, I had to like say, like, Guys, you've been here for like a week and a half, you can go now, like, it's okay, I'm good. Um, but they were here for a long time and they were just loving and caring and just blessed they were way nicer here than they are at home so i <laughs> i don't know if it's because we were up north they just wanted to be nice to me but right. they were way nicer. well that's just a testament to your um who you are i don't think i gave my parents <laughs> a, a week let alone i mean a couple hours let alone a week so you know i'm sure they would have loved to have stayed but i was like um all right i'm good <laughs> so so i'd have to say because you know we do focus on you know, black males or black men. And for any young men that may be listening and, you know, when they're choosing or struggling about trying to 
uh, I guess, reach that next level, what words of encouragement would you give them? Honestly, I would say, then I, I say this is my thread throughout like all of my interviews. Um, and it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. Be yourself. And by that, I mean to be your authentic self. It should come as naturally like breathing. Because when you're being you and you're doing you and you're doing what you're passionate about, it's easy. It's easy. It really is. And people don't believe it. It really is. I had interview after interview and I was talking about things I was pa- I was passionate about. So it was easy for me. You know, they were like, mm. how do you do these interviews? How do you talk so com- com- comfortably in these interviews? And I'm like, I'm talking about things that I'm passionate about. I'm talking about things that I enjoy. I'm talking about that thing that's within me that gives that spark, that flame, that fire that burns within me. So it's easy for me. You know, it's easy for me to be me because that's who I am. So if I had to encourage you, I'd say be yourself despite all odds, you know, be yourself despite all issues. Don't be deterred by them, but be encouraged to fix them. You know, when I remember during the pandemic, um, as like when it first hit and then you had this, all these things that were happening in our society. I mean, you had people being killed by the by police brutality. You had the pandemic happening. You had administration that didn't seem to really be doing much. So you just had all these things happening. And I just remember looking at them like, wow, like, I'm, I'm probably never going to make it to like my dream school. I'm probably never going to make it to be able to see certain things. And I remember at a certain point, I remember at a certain point, I stopped being deterred by it and discouraged by it. And I was mm-hmm. encouraged to fix it. You know, I never felt that saying um, anymore, be the change you wish to see. I never felt that more than I did during the pandemic because I saw issues and I was like, oh, wow, someone needs to fix that. And I was like, oh, wait. You need to fix that. I need to fix that. I can fix that, you know? And I think that when we really are being ourselves, things reveal itself to us that we're supposed to do. I believe, like, I, I believe that God put all of us here for a reason. And okay. Yes. So I feel that if we're ourselves and we really try and walk on our path and thrive in, thrive in our own lane, that what we're supposed to do will be revealed to us and we'll be able to do it by being us. You know, it doesn't, it's not going to be a force. It's not going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have your ups and downs, but it's not going to be like a difficult thing to be you and to do what you're supposed to do. And I really I really believe that despite it all, in spite of it all, you know, you're still unique. You're still brilliant. And in my book, I even talk about how we need to start embracing our brilliance, you know, and society and just crazy parties across our country. We've they've been we've been taught to like, oh. Try to try to hide our blackness or try to be ashamed of being black or be ashamed of certain things. No, embrace it because you're brilliant and you're, you're wonderful and you're incredible. So I want to encourage anybody listening to this, whether you're a, a young black man, young black girl, if you're any, any person of color, just be yourself. Like, seriously, be yourself. Embrace your brilliance, embrace your uniqueness and embrace your passion. Because I feel I really feel like our generation. This is just me saying it, but I okay. feel like generation. Is really going to bring about some true change. So I'm excited. Well, that'll be great. And I, I pray that I'll be here to see it. So, <laughs> and uh, so before I let you go, because I know I don't want your mom tracking me down, tracking <laughs> get you from studying. Um, as a black young man, what what's on your mind right now? What's on my mind right now? Yeah. Um, I didn't finish eating that quesadilla that I got. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, what's on my mind, I'm here at Harvard. So I'm in the position to do some big things. And I really just don't want to miss any opportunities to help people on a large scale. 
So like everything that I see, I'm like grabbing onto, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gravitating towards and I'm, I'm getting, I'm catching and I'm grabbing it because I want to make sure that I take every opportunity that I've been blessed with to help other people. Um, I'm here and I'm here for a reason. So I want to make sure that I use my resources that I have around me to really do something impactful and meaningful and helpful, you know? Um, and that, that's really what's on my mind, you know, that and trying to figure out these P sets and these, um, and all these, you know, all this homework and all these learning pods we have to do. So I'm really just trying to use my resources, you know, and use what I have and my tools at my disposal to really do some good. And even as a little freshman, I still feel like I have the ability and the power to do some good uh, with the resources I'm given. So that's really what's on my mind right now. Well, Davion, I have to say that I think you are a great young man. Um, you, I'm blessed that I had the opportunity to speak with you. And I think, you know, just the fact that you are, you are there now and you are you're attacking this journey, I think, with with passion and vigor. I think you'll be you'll be all right. So, um, know, I'm and I'm sure you do. You're a very confident, young man. Know that what you're doing uh, is great. So, uh, I thank you for being on today, taking a few minutes to speak to me. And uh, I usually close, but I won't keep you. And because I know you got get get some work done. And uh, thank you. Thank you. It was an honor. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you have a good night. You too. It was such a treat interviewing this young man. And those that listen today, remember this young man's name, Davion Tatum. Whether it's in STEM or politics, wherever he lands, he's a young brother you'll need to follow. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. And make sure you follow the Black Men Speak podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, at the end of every show, we like to end with a quote. And this one comes from the great one himself, Michael Jordan. To be successful, you have to be selfish or else you will never achieve. And once you get to your highest level, then you have to be unselfish. Stay reachable, stay in touch, don't isolate. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.